Welcome to another episode of Reptile Fight Club. I'm Justin Julander of Australian Addiction Reptiles, and I am your host. And with me, as always, wouldn't have any other way, Mr. Chuck Poland. What is up, buddy? What is up, my friend? How you, <laughs> How doing? you doing? I'm good. I'm, I'm good. a little tired. I'm dragging a little. From trying to catch back up from the trip. But. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was a marathon for sure. I, I understand uh, where you where you uh, where you're at. I, I came home and like I took a shower and I just passed out like for Crashed. several hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, so. Yeah, ah, it was a good time. Good time. It was. It was. Well, we're uh, very happy to have uh, Bill Bradley with us again. Uh, he's joining the podcast again. So yeah, nice to have him back. Welcome. So. <laughs> So today's my 46th birthday, and I said for my b- big birthday present, I want Bill Bradley back on because <laughs> he is one of my favorites. So welcome, Bill. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm super jealous of all the pictures you guys have been posting of your uh, outing. Yeah, it, w- it was a good trip, man. It was a oh, good was trip. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm already like itching to get back out. Like I'm I know, looking. I feel the same way. <laughs> I've been on iNaturalist looking for some good localities and stuff that I want to find. But yeah, I don't know. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, good times, and so, made even better by the company. That was great oh, to have. Uh, wow, yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> since I invited myself, you know, I I, I must tip my own hat. <laughs> that's the best I gotta say that's the best self invite I've ever seen so, I, I, I tried to do it right I tried to yeah. do it right if I'm going yeah. to crash the party like the Kool-Aid man I'm serving <laughs> drinks <laughs> how do you open head? yeah <laughs> isn't that what the Kool-Aid man does <laughs> just pours his butt oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> no oh no what have you done to this beautiful house <laughs> All right. Well, what's so, going on in yeah. uh, Herpwise, Herp Town, Herpville? What do you guys got going? Anything exciting? I'm back in Illinois for a week, uh, taking uh-huh. care of some training stuff for work. So, okay, just been knocking it out with the kids. Walter got a couple of new turtles. Indy got some new tarantulas. We've made some new setups for them to do shows. Nice. Uh, nice. End of summer, start of school, and fall is a lot of a festival time for us. So it's a lot more displays and yeah. things like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> then we added some colubrids. Mm-hmm. Um, Illinois is really strict about boas and pythons when it comes to minors. Okay. And so huh. my middle daughter has really taken a run at doing a, a lot more show activities on her own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so oh, we cool. added a lot more colubrids so that she could interact with the crowd while Teresa does the, you know, like a stage presentation for a school assembly or something like that with the larger stuff. So, nice. so who, who like, is it, is that fish and wildlife who walks through and is like, excuse me, can I see your ID for that Python or how does that work? Yeah. So the department of natural resources is who regulates all that here. Gotcha. And they, they rewrote the, her, our state herpetologist wrote the herptile code in 2015 uh-huh. and he he's actually a herper. Like he's he's a herp nerd. He goes yeah. herping. He keeps privately. Um, like he's he's a government official and is he knows the rules and is pretty strict. But like he he goes to reptile shows and he has tricolor hog nose and like he's a nerd. He he likes this stuff. That's cool. Um, and so when the law was written in Illinois, um, he wrote it as broadly as possible mm-hmm. so that we could keep as much as we could. But 
he's like really aware that he still needed state senators and state representatives to vote for this thing. And they had to understand the language in it. Um, and so he put pretty hard restrictions at the age of 18 for um, boas and pythons. And, and he just said boas and pythons because explaining a sand boa versus a red tail right. to a senator is is a waste of time. Right. Mm. And so it had to be just vague. Yeah. Um, but the only real restrictions other than that are things that are considered dangerous. So croc monitors, Komodos and the like, very large monitors, mm-hmm. crocodilians of any kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some specific rules about how you display those to the public and whether or not minors can be involved. Mm-hmm. And then the only venomous we're allowed to have that are, they classify venomous in two ways. Anything rear fang is its own permit. And then Anything that's not so that can be exotic can be outside of the United States species. Uh, anything that is not rear fang can only be species found in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his reasoning for writing the law that way was uh, availability of antivenin and medical procedures. Yeah. And he was he was just better able to explain that to the the people who were voting on it and how the safety protocols would go. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Illinois, like. It's cold here, man. So, like, there, there's only, I think, six of us even keeping crocodilians. I think there's, we're the only people that have the permit for rear fang that I'm aware of. Hmm. Uh, there are a few institution-type collections that have um, rattlers and, and things like that. But it's just super rare up here because it gets so cold. Uh, most people just weren't keeping that kind of thing. And so he was... It wasn't as much of a fight, I suppose, when when that got regulated. Yeah. Um, and and he's he was able to sell it really well when he explained, you know, anti-venom and, and care in the United States and, and the health care aspect to where they, they passed it. You know, they voted for it and they accepted it. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's I don't know, man. I, I did a five questions with Justin where we were talking all about um I just follow the rules. Yeah. So, like that guy's super cool with us. He comes and inspects our shop and talks yeah. to Teresa. Like, you know, we never have any issues, but I also don't keep stuff. I'm not supposed to keep. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So now you could keep pythons, but your kids couldn't interact with them or how does that work? So in a show setting, uh, and somebody over the age of 18 has to be in control of that specimen during the show so okay that's it's also really broadly defined in that way and so what i do is um like if if it's a kid's birthday or at a festival or something they want to take a picture holding a boa they take it with me and so i hold the head or like if they're you know they're kids so they're significantly shorter than me of course you know i'll I'll like just put the head in the crook of my elbow and then let the tail sit on his shoulder or whatever yeah um but you have to demonstrate that you are maintaining control in some way and then with like crocodilians and monitors if the public is within 10 feet without a barrier you have to tape their mouth Mm -hmm. um only large monitors so they're they're very specific on that aspect but crocodilians is across the board hatchling to adult doesn't matter Mm -hmm. um okay and it's just you know it's it's simple stuff man like you get some electrical tape you wrap it around a gator snout they don't care like it doesn't do anything you know what i mean and um the control aspect like when i put a large python on the ground you know i have an assortment of hooks and i'm just kind of guiding their head i stand by the head you can go pet the tail let's all sit crisscross and take a picture kind of thing you know Mm -hmm. um it's 
nothing, none of it's overly complicated. Yeah. Um, until you get to like the family aspect where, you know, my kids are probably more educated and experienced than most kids. Yeah. And like my son, my youngest, he's 12. He's also six, one and 195 pounds. <laughs> and yeah. so like he could pick up a boa. He's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or yeah. a ball python. They would or, probably you know, assume like, he was 18 and that size. Yeah. 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 And, and we've had a lot of that where, you know, people will ask him at like big events, Hey, can you help with this or do that or whatever? And he's like, I'm, I'm not an adult. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, they're like, could have yeah, fooled I mean, me. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, that's, you know, that was part of their education of, yeah. of helping out, you know, and in, in, in your home or in your private collection, like there aren't any real regulations in regards to that other than, you know, venomous and, and the specific permits. Yeah. And so like they clean stuff and, you know, yeah. clean the sand boas stuff. and move the ball pythons. Like that stuff's no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just when they're exposed to the public. Hmm. That's interesting that they went with a full like group ban rather than like a size or something like like a maximum size type ban, you know, like anything that gets yeah, over it, eight feet or something. It's so hard to get them to really agree to anything mm-hmm. um, like they don't recognize subspecies. They don't like as taxonomic changes happen to whether or not because like emery's are endangered in Illinois. Mm hmm. But I had a chance to get Slowinski rats and I couldn't because the, when the herptile code was written taxonomically, they were a subspecies of Emery oh, and that they haven't caught up Yeah, and, or, or things like that, you know, like yeah. the yellow mud turtle isn't endangered here. The mm-hmm. Illinois mud turtle is, which mm. is weird stuff, right? Like that's been taxonomically recognized as a subspecies that is endangered in this state. Mm-hmm. But I can't have the holotype species of the yellow mud turtle because it, you know, I would, I mean, I can if I put it on my endangered species permit, but like mm-hmm. there's a lot of very weird regulations in that mm-hmm. way because the people, the people that you have to get to agree to that and to vote on it aren't, are not educated on this stuff. And, and, nor, so, and nor do they care to be, uh, <laughs> right. You're not, you're not going to get them yeah. to participate in that manner. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, we had a and similar situation. Our state, of with, course, always oh. runs into Chance the Snapper and Gators in Lake Michigan and, and stupid mm-hmm. things. So the only thing they do here is bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I want to ask about an endangered rat snake, and they're like, "Who is this dude?" Like, yeah, no, yeah, get yeah, out of yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we we had a, a similar situation in Utah where um, California king snakes were illegal to keep because they made their way into just a corner of of utah and so you know they were a native species and illegal but every pet store had one in it so it's like why is this a law (laughs) this makes no sense to outlaw something that's in every pet shop you know or are you gonna make a bunch of kids criminals you know sometimes it's it's really frustrating but you know i think they've done some common sense changes to the law there it's fine you can even collect them from the wild if you have a permit (laughs) uh, with the permit comes like 
you have to do like an uh, an educate like a, a little course where you have to answer some yep. questions and learn the rules and things like that. It's really kind of a common sense change, and it's been really a, a neat thing to see. And uh, and I think you know I I don't think much has changed. You know I don't think you know, I don't think it's just open a floodgate for illegal collection or anything. But it's you know it's it's more of a common sense thing, uh, mm-hmm. which is. Yeah, refreshingly rare, you know, like it's or, or refreshing to see, but rare, rare to to rarely happens these days yeah. with government. Yeah, so yeah, I guess you get lucky sometimes, but yeah, before that, it was a little bit archaic and strange. But yeah, that's do? the big thing for us was prior to 2015, they just said no to all kinds of stuff, and basically everybody kept outside of the rules. Yeah, and a lot of the rules weren't enforced. Yep. Um, and then, so they were like, look, this is ridiculous at any given time. A bunch of people are criminals based on this law that we don't bother enforcing. So like, yeah, let's write something that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, we did a, not we, but they, in our state, uh, they did a really good job with it. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the trick, I guess. It, it's nice when they work together with the reptile community, we had a big, uh, deal going on with, with our, um, state you know and they they were actually paying us to go out and herp and do field surveys and stuff so that was kind of a cool little run but then um one of the members got caught with gila monsters which are a big no-no in utah and then he turned informant and so he went around trying to get dirt on everybody else in the group and it just tore yeah. the group apart you know even though nobody was really doing anything illegal they were kind of making up stories and one of the guys lost all his whole collection of rubber boas because of this you know and and they tried to make some case against him and it didn't fly but in the meantime they confiscated all his rubber boas and they all died in in their hands you know so it's like i, I don't know what, right. why why do they care so much about rubber boas when you know i don't know when he was above board in all regards and he didn't have anything illegal. So the moral of the story here is snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. (laughs) No, the moral of the story is follow the rules and (laughs) things will be fine. But yeah, I I had a buddy once that uh, was, was having issues with a, a fellow herper that was doing crappy stuff to, you know, swindling and doing all this uh, garbage and his neighbor his neighbor was a uh, was in the mob, and he's like, "You want me to take care of this guy for you?" in a, in an Australian accent. It was over in Australia, and he's and he thought long and hard. He's like, ah, "I can't have that on my conscience. <laughs> we'll, we'll let him live." Where? Yeah, <laughs> he had to think about it for a little while, but he yeah he said no. So right, that's probably a good choice. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I guess uh, sometimes uh, we get uh, pushed pushed a little hard by silly things and silly people but you gotta gotta do what's right i guess (laughs) yeah well that's cool what uh what new what new uh, snakes do you say you got some new colubrids yeah uh some of the folks in the thn group Mm -hmm. i was posting there talking about how we were shifting things around trying to go less with boas and pythons for the kids and um I kind of got an assortment from, I don't, I don't breed stuff. And so if, if somebody had like a one-off male or whatever, that doesn't, that doesn't bother me at all. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a straight up yellow rat uh, with mm-hmm. the classic, just two stripe back, a Texas rat. It's actually handleable. So yeah. that's kind of a big deal. 
Um, and then some black rats that are locality specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also have Eastern black Kings. And so I do, cool. when I do lessons, like if it's boy Scouts or an actual ecology lesson or something like that, where I'm, I'm specifically teaching to a class, mm-hmm. I do a lot of, um, like habitats across the United States. And I mm-hmm. use, like you can use king snakes to teach that. You can start yeah. in California and go to Florida and show progression. Cool. Um, rat snakes are the same way. Like you can work yeah. your way up and down the eastern seaboard and then west along the Gulf, explaining our country using rat snakes. Mm-hmm. Um, That's and cool, so it's it's mostly cool stuff like that. I like that. Yeah, yeah and, and like you know if if they wouldn't all eat each other, you could literally <laughs> line king snakes up and, and see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, just just stuff like that. Um, my daughter, of course, is super into the invertebrates, so she got a couple of new tarantulas and mm-hmm. set up some more displays so that she can kind of man the table a little bit more while Teresa does the bigger stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my son's a turtle nerd, so whenever I find cool turtles, they end up at my house with my son. So nice, nice. that's awesome. Yeah, I just got my daughter a group of Herman's tortoises to play with. So little captive bred cool. babies. So that's been fun. She's really enjoying that. Our our buddy Steve yeah. Sharp loves turtles. Oh, oh, yeah, they're his favorite. <laughs> now you're supposed to say he hates turtles. <laughs> no, Steve loves turtles. Stop, stop. Uh, Steve loves all yeah, reptiles. He does. Um, but yeah, there. I I'm like after getting those, I'm like looking into different tortoise species. Going, what else? Uh, what else can we get here? <laughs> yeah, there's just so many cool Man, reptiles. It's so hard. And tortoises are much closer at least on the kid level, and then mm. for adults as well, they're way closer to what you think you want your pets to do. Yeah. Like you want your dog to hang out with you but not bark and interrupt us, or you want a cat to sit on the couch with you or whatever. Like tortoises yeah. are visual. They're treat-driven. They have personality. Like they do all the things a cat would do. They're just cooler. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and when you're nine years old, that's what you actually want. You, you yeah. just you want a cool pet, not like your friend's cat. Right. Why, Bill, are you saying that I might be able to trade Ruby in for a tortoise? That, <laughs> of course. Good trade. That might be a good trade at this point. <laughs> They're a lot less uh, a lot less effort to keep them happy, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. if you're too kind to them, they and don't do And if you get a big well, enough you know? one, it'll still <laughs> dig up your yard and destroy your furniture. So it's just like having a dog. Dude. There you go. Dude. <laughs> I love it yeah, when I was we disappointed. can align animals. Yeah, that's nice. I was disappointed we didn't see any Chelonians. I was looking real hard for mud turtles and desert tortoises and that and box turtles, but we didn't get lucky on this trip to see any. I mean, we got lucky to see plenty of good stuff, but no, no Chelonians. I was a little down about that. We did see did, a box turtle at Bob's place. Did you get but, in there yeah. and dig for mud turtles? A little bit, yeah. I had I was up to my elbows. And I was going to say Steve. Steve was up to his elbows. I, yeah. I, I couldn't couldn't nice. remember if that was you or, or or Dustin who had was up to their elbows. But yeah, I, I was. I wanted. You. I really yeah, wanted to find one. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you need to. Yeah. I, I need to try again, but someday I'll find a mud. That'd be a tough one to find. I, I was kind of like, oh man, you just stick your hand in there and you just dig around in the mud until yeah. you find it. Like that seems like that could be a difficult like. That's a tough I found find. snake neck turtles that way in Australia. We found some eastern snake necks, and that's cool. You just kind of, I was cool. just kind of walking through the pond, swe- swiping my hands back and forth, and finally, I I kind of brushed one. I'm like, oh, there's one, and grabbed it. So that was cool. Yeah, 
catch a, awesome. catch a snake neck turtle. <laughs> it was kind of a gross, gross pond, but Hey, when you're in Australia, you gotta mm-hmm. you know, get in there and find the turtle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'm too That's sad cool. about finding mud turtles. I've heard they're very, very smelly. So, uh, the yeah. must turtles are not the most pleasant things to smell, but yeah, it would have been fun to see one. I mean, at, th- at that point in the trip though, let's be honest, we did not smell very good either. So. Oh, that is very true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. All right. Well, should we, uh, fight a little, you guys ready to, to throw down? For sure. Okay. Sure. Well, we're going to talk about, uh, the, I guess the pros and cons of having uh, big constrictors in the hobby. Does that sound kind of what what the topic you want to fight about? Yeah, yeah. We okay. we messaged back and forth on several topics. That was yeah. definitely one of them. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah, it was you, more of a method of keeping. But okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, um, and then we'll uh, we'll go ahead and flip the coin to see who gets to fight you. So uh, you want to call it? Cool. Chuck? Ah, oh, that's tails. It's heads. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, let's see. I, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. Okay, okay, that's cool. You want to moderate? Yeah, I will. And then uh, we'll have Bill call it to see what side of the topic you get. Heads. It is heads. Oh, <laughs> nice. Well All right. Done, well, what, uh, what would you like to defend? So we're doing pro keeping of giant constrictors and con keeping of giant constrictors. Oh, unless we want to yes. refine unless it you a, a tweak different it. way. Yeah, yeah, we can we can do a different. Hey, you won the coin well, toss. So my, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> no, no. My my original contention was the the method of keeping, particularly okay. retics, but sometimes berms. Mm-hmm. Um, so this would be like big cage versus small cage, or. No, my thing was purposely keeping them overweight. Ah, mm-hmm. I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to, because there are there are pros and cons to that from okay. your safety perspective and a breeding perspective and things yeah. like that. Um, and obviously, on social media, it had ignited mm-hmm. a lot of controversy because folks got upset seeing fat snakes. Okay. Um, but yeah. there is, you know. Um, yeah, what side of that issue do you want to take? Good to keep them big or good, I think, better to keep them small? <laughs> so I personally disagree with keeping them the way some folks do overweight. So I mm-hmm. will argue in favor of that to try and have a well-rounded debate. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Well, do you want to go first or do you want to defer? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will defer. Okay. I'll go first. So wait, so wait, so wait. What's Bill's (laughs) side again? Because I thought I understood. I'm I'm pro fat retics. Okay. Pro fat retics. (laughs) Justin is skinny and skinny, lean, mean, fighting machines. Yeah. 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 Yes. Okay. 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 All right. Sounds good. Ready, I go. guess I would say the first uh, pro of keeping your constrictors a little on the smaller side is that big, fat, lethargic snakes uh, aren't going to breed. Um, they'll probably have a, a shorter lifespan if they're, you know, overweight and uh, oversized. Um, it 
Um, and then, you know, of course, handling, they're going to be a lot more difficult to handle, especially if you, if it's, you know, by yourself or with another person, a, a giant, a true giant, you know, is going to be very, very difficult. So, I mean, I think, like you said, there's lots of, uh, good aspects of, of keeping a smaller snake and, uh, you probably spend a lot less on food if you're keeping them smaller. You're not feeding them as often. Um, so I guess there's a there's kind of a shotgun approach to a few of these things. But I think you know, in regards to to uh, the you know getting them to that size and having them be larger, um, you know, requires a lot of feeding. And with with big constrictors, I, I'm not sure that they're necessarily designed, especially when they're adults, to eat as frequently as we feed them in captivity and along with uh feeding frequently you know with the large constrictor their their organs actually change size you know their heart will increase inside their liver you know all their organs will increase in size when they take a big meal um i believe gavin bedford did some research on that and showed that um if you feed a prey species that is 20 percent of the snake's mass or larger that initiates those changes in in physiology that allows them to digest a giant meal like that and so if you're causing this uh growth and and you know reduction in in their organs frequently that that probably is not a good thing on their on their well-being their uh longevity are you saying that you think that, uh, that, 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 that feeding them like that and then allowing their organs to go back and then up and back and down versus like always feeding heavy and their organs are always enlarged? Or mm. I would think that, that, yeah. that having that boom and bust, you know, those organs are probably designed to do that a little bit, but to have them sure. always in enlarged a constant or, oh, state. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah, that's probably yeah, pretty bad, flux. right? Yeah, if you're feeding like weekly, you know, they're growing and then they're maybe, yeah. and maybe they don't have even time to go back down. And so they're having to support those larger organs. I mean, I guess uh, my question would be like, why, why can they take such big meals if, you know, like, what, like, I get it. Well, that it it's probably yeah. not the best thing for yeah. them, but like, it's probably not. You know, no, in in the I mean, wild, they're, they're designed, designed to yeah, to take yeah. those larger meals, but they're not getting them weekly. You yeah, know, they're getting yeah. them like once a, a month or or less, yeah. and and then that's lasting them for quite a, a long time. And if you yeah. look at a, I mean, you you may see a wild uh, retic that's very large. You know, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, and there are some, especially animals that are very close to human habitation, like those giant water monitors out in Thailand or something. You know, that are park. Park monitors, they're eating, you know, bread and stuff that people cats. throw at them or cats and or, or corpses or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever they can find. They're sure. eating just garbage, but they're giant, you know. So I don't know how long they – I don't know if anybody's done a study. Maybe they're just fine. Maybe they're great and they're happy and they live a very long life. But I tend to think that in captivity, we don't see a lot of giant constrictors because we are keeping them wrong and feeding them too too often. All right, enough of you. I want to hear from yep. Bill. Yep, Bill's turn. Yeah. So, uh, in real life, <laughs> you, I 100% agree with you. Um, my actual feeding regimen is 10% of my large constrictor's body weight every four weeks. Mm-hmm. In cool. my defense argument, um, the keeping of very large constrictors, specifically in the, in the United States, is a commercial prospect. Mm-hmm. And they are treated as commercial animals and treated as livestock. Mm-hmm. And so 
my viewpoint on that is that you are looking at it from a shelf life perspective and the creation of a morph. And so it is a wonderful sales tactic to let folks know that a reticulated python can achieve a giant size, be a beautiful display animal, and then pass away inside of 10 years. Seven to 10 years, you get a giant snake. It matches what you as an American pet keeper think of as a giant dog because it's kind of the same time frame. Littler dogs, medium-sized dogs last a little bit longer. And the to me, the entire thing is a sales tactic. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly effective in the, in the American market. It also, on the female side for these particular pythons, allows them to produce an astounding number of eggs and to reach sexual maturity in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. And so if that animal's productive shelf life is shortened, but my goal is to produce a follow-on mutation with a combination of genes or a new gene or something of that nature, then what I'm really concerned about is that animal's offspring and the speed at which I can get those offspring to sexual maturity. I'm not concerned with her her longevity because if the goal is a production of a new mutation or the goal is the production of a number of babies that I'm trying to sell, then I can always get the smaller ones up to sexual maturity, feeding smaller items, just more of them. Mm-hmm. And then because we live in the United States, when you talk about the incredibly large constrictors, you can actually go to people food on the commercial side. And it is not necessarily cheaper, but it is comparative to keeping mm-hmm. or, or breeding rodents and, and purchasing those. If you were to purchase piglets or goats or things of that nature, because those are already produced at a massive scale in the United States mm-hmm. and rodents are as well, but rodents are for laboratory purposes. And then secondarily for our market, we are considered a, a very secondary market to that. Whereas piglet production, uh, male chickens, uh, things that, like that, that's a primary market in the United States as a food staple. And so you can dip into that and have a cost savings on your end. It's just a really good business model. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, my, my thing in, in this particular argument is that it's a, it's a philosophical difference from what you are describing. Mm-hmm. What you are describing is a responsible pet keeper. You're someone that understands natural history. You are to even reference Gavin's work. Like that takes a certain level of education and a, and a style and commitment to a certain type of herpeticulture. And the perspective that I'm coming from is not that. Mm-hmm. Is commercial animal production and mm-hmm. the standards at commercial animal production are that's why grass fed beef is so fancy, organic yeah. pork and yeah. things like that, as opposed to commercial farming. And in this instance, this is commercial farming of python mutations, mm-hmm. just not for it, it to me is quite literally the skin trade without skinning them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and I guess, you know, if if you're looking to make a an easy dollar or something like that, you know, I, yeah, there's there's something to that. But I I guess uh you know, if if you're shooting for giant clutches, a lot I mean, sometimes you'll get them and and a lot of times if those things have fallen out of fat or or don't sell very quickly, you've got a giant uh 
you know, group of, of snakes that you've got to maintain and feed and all those kind of things. And so, um, I mean, you can dump them wholesale or sell them cheap, but then that puts out a, a very cheap, uh, potentially, you know, dangerous pet out there. And then, you know, we wind up with a bunch of retics and rescues or, you know, Burmese pythons and rescues, and that's, you know, never a good thing. So I, I would, I would say, you know, if, if anybody's got that attitude of, I'm going to feed this thing up so I can get 58 eggs or a hundred eggs from it. And then, you know, they, they realize, wait, I, I don't have a hundred cages or I don't have a, you know, a hundred six foot, uh, enclosures for, for when these things get some size on them in the next couple months or, or whatnot, you know, and, and I need to house them in large areas. Um, you know, a lot of herpeticulturalists are No, no. Did you know the industry standard is only one square foot per foot of snake length? Uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's a perfectly good point. <laughs> acceptable when you get to 18 to 24 foot long giant pythons. Right, right. It's no, no big deal. They don't all. need a pond, just a water bowl spine. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think, uh, of course, you're, you know, that's uh, some good sarcasm there. And, and I, I appreciate <laughs> that. And yeah, I, I mean, we, we, if we're not keeping them appropriately we're probably not doing justice to such a magnificent snake and and again that's why you don't see a lot of magnificent reticulated pythons around because you know you see them at a few few places that uh, kind of are, are pumping them out or, or breeding them or whatnot but um, but do, do you do you yeah. feel like do you feel like though that uh, I, I feel like uh, you, you know kennels are, are littered with Belgian Malinois that people thought would be the greatest idea in the world until they had to deal with that dog and realize holy shit it's a you know it's it's a meth addict with teeth uh, yeah. you know so I mean I, I feel like we do that across the board and I'm not excusing it like in this situation but i mean you could go you could go to dogs or uh i mean you know other instances of inappropriate pets uh that people got for maybe the wrong you know the wrong incentivized reasons uh you know and and it happens right like so you know why i guess my thing would be like what why are big constrictors any different than the way we treat other stuff not that it's right i'm not saying that i'm just saying (laughs) like you know, well, no, we do. We do do that. <laughs> there, yeah. there is that, you know, there is, there are people going, wait, I didn't realize it would grow that big that fast. Or, or, you know, I, I thought I could keep it small by keeping it in a small cage and never feeding it and, you know, things like that. Or, or, uh, it was, it, I really didn't realize what it meant to have a, you know, 15 foot Python or a 12 foot python or a 10 foot python you know that's a and, that's a lot and, of snake and I th- especially I, but if it's I, got a bad I, attitude and look i will say this and i have an employee who found out that i was super into snakes and he was telling me like before he shipped off to the marine corps i think i've, t- I've even said this story where he's mm-hmm. he had an african rock and you know he it got really big and it was kind of like a whole like he had he learned the whole like oh wow this thing's gonna be huge i didn't realize it but he stuck with it and he, he provided a good home for it and you know he had to he he found a good place for it to live after he shipped off to the marine corps because it wasn't fair for his parents to have to take care of such a big snake and so i hear what you're saying but i think maybe you're selling some people short like not everybody goes oh my gosh this is not what i thought it was and then just abandons it and and walks away like i i think that's kind of you know um i think that that you know i think i think what you're saying appeals to the to the most 
Uh, but were you surprised about your friend? No. What do you mean? Like, was I surprised? That <laughs> was it he, like shocking that he actually gave it a good enclosure and that he was taking the time to find a good home for it? Things like that. And did you want to take it on? You know, like, well, I, I no, guess, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, so, not, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the exception other, to the rule, right? Sure. Like most people not necess- don't I mean, keep them like that. Okay. That's your, I mean, yeah, I, again, I, mean, I, I don't have any data to back that. Yeah. That's, that's I think you're, there. I mean, well, I'm just saying you're you're giving anecdotal evidence that that's the way it is, and I just wanted to counter with some anecdotal evidence that it may not always be that way. That's all I'm sure, saying. Sure, sure, I, I can appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I, there's a couple of prongs on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, one that is totally in your favor, but I can't get through this episode and not bring it up yeah. is um, the vast majority of those snakes don't ever live to get big. Yeah. If they did, we'd be overrun with them. Yeah. We've produced thousands, hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands at this point with the amount of clutches that you see come out of the West Coast specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just impossible that all those snakes reached adult size. They, oh, they yeah. didn't. No, they didn't. Um, yeah. So that's a huge negative on my argument. But um, <laughs> that that is a legit thing in herpeticulture. Yeah. Um, sure. But the on the, the keeping them huge side, the... One of the key parts of that is it is a super like gross topic, but it also prevents like they don't last as long. Mm-hmm. So you you're not going to have someone that has to deal with it for 15, 20, 30. Like when you start to look at old literature, you're talking about snakes living into their 30s and 40s that are 18 feet long. Mm-hmm. Like that's it, we can't get people to keep sulcata tortoises. You know, let, let alone something that could take out your dog. Um, and so there is a, in my opinion, morally inappropriate side of it, but it is a sales tactic in that it's seven to 10 years and then it got too fat and then now you don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, and that in that particular realm of, selling those types of animals that is actually viewed as a positive and the fact that they get, sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, I think, I think that I'm like, like, as you said, what would happen if all those large constrictors that got sold for cheap and pet stores was still around? We, we as reptile keepers might have, (laughs) we might have more problems than we already do. Right. Like, well, no, yes, absolutely. Hmm. And yeah, I guess I, I guess I would would think that's you know uh, of course that's maybe a selling point but that's a sick mind that uses that as a selling point you know like this thing will I, probably I die you know this thing won't last long you know and and if that's the way we're we're uh, you know kind of viewing this or or we think oh that's probably a, a good thing I mean yeah you're you're right it is probably good that they they don't all survive but. Man, what a what a waste, you know, of life to just pump something out just to have it die in the, you know, because people can't properly care for it. In my mind, that that I will agree probably, with you, but it helps my yeah. argument. Sure, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, and, you, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, you're playing like, devil's advocate, and you obviously took the dip, more difficult side, which is admirable. But you know, and, and, yeah, and and to be fair, I don't even think humans can treat each other very well. So asking humans to go and and have compassion for, you know, something that can't speak for itself, uh, it's a tall ask sometimes. 
Yeah, and you wonder if people, if yeah. if legislators got that in their in their heads that oh these people are just pumping these out and they're dying, you know, and they're not being cared for, so let's just make them illegal, you know. Then the people who well, you know are for sure that things like HSUS are using that as an argument. Oh yeah, sure. yeah because it's a sure. wonder it's a wonderful argument against us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah, you know it. We don't really have a rebuttal. Yeah. And we should, I mean, uh, yeah, we, we should be, we should be doing better. <laughs> we should be respecting life no matter what that life is. And, and we, if we, if you can't care for it and you can't find a good home for it, you know, that, that becomes difficult and, and not many people are equipped to handle a, a hognose snake, let alone a, you know, 12 foot, 15 foot, <laughs> you know, giant snake. So that becomes very difficult. Yeah. Well, and then, on the handling aspect, so that is actually something that is unfortunate, but works to the the favor of my current argument mm-hmm. of I'm trying really hard not to name out people's videos, but if you watch social media, you've seen a lot of big retic videos, yeah. and the reason that some so that's very sensationalized, right? And they they strike mm-hmm. at people and and mm-hmm. all this nonsense. Um, which we all know works in social media and, and yeah. sells and gets clicks and, and generates revenue. And the, if you are a person who is experienced with large constrictors, large healthy constrictors, um, they, they have the potential to be very dangerous animals. They're, they're very strong. They yeah. are very large and it, it's, it's a serious commitment. Mm-hmm. And when you keep them, in the manner that we're talking about where they're more obese and there are generating eggs, they're in nesting behavior. They're very territorial and you see the striking and, Oh, it's scary or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually safer for the person who is working with that animal, that that animal is so overweight because yeah. that 18 yeah. to 20 foot snake does not have the ability to launch itself naturally. It's yeah. trying. You can see in those videos that those snakes are trying. They mm-hmm. they're trying hard to get you, yeah. and and they just can't move their fat selves to do it. And so, in the grand scheme of things, we are we are not very dexterous and we are not very agile for monkeys. Like we <laughs> we would not do well in the jungles of Indonesia with a real twenty plus foot animal, right? Mm-hmm. Something that has spent its life in the forest hunting deer. You're not that impressive. Like yeah. I am not faster than deer. Um, the, the flip to that is keeping them the way that I keep them. It is very difficult. The, the, we have a female right now. She's right around the 16 foot mark. Uh, Mm -hmm. she's probably a little thinner than my thigh. I would say, um, she's absolutely still able to climb. Uh, when you, you, everybody has seen the snake locomotion video of the male retic going kind of straight up the telephone pole, how they, they do the cool looping and and that thing. Um, she absolutely is able to do that. She can do it straight up me and she's trying to sit on my head because she wants to be off the ground. Um, and they have way more energy than we do. So she just goes and goes and goes and it's to my benefit in, in public demonstrations, because then she'll just wander around the field and people can see how she moves. And, and that's wonderful. But it is an, an extraordinary amount of work for one person. We always use two. Um, if she were fat and sluggish, it would make my life a lot easier. I would really only have to hook her head end into the travel box. 
then I can just scoop the rest of her fat self. Um, There's a reason people like to use Burmese pythons in this type of environment is because Mm -hmm. they're an ambush predator that gets fat and sits in the mud naturally. (laughs) And so they, they just hang out in the sun and you can take a picture of the big yellow snake. Like that's why you do it. The, The problem is that it's not in my, my current defense, it's not a problem. It's a good thing is that if you keep retics like berms, they act like berms. Mm-hmm. They get really fat and they sit there because it's hard to move all that weight around. Mm-hmm. Um, you, were, you were just mentioning Afrox. Afrox are actually my favorite giant snake. They're pretty um, cool. Because they are, well, they are, when you look at them, they seem to be quite similar to a berm, but mm-hmm. then they do not have the forest cover of a reticulated python. They're exposed grassland animals. Uh, so they're incredibly defensive. They're yeah. <laughs> wildly powerful. Yeah. Um, but folks have shown that when they bred the pattern lists and had a few generations, they're pretty chill. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, the, the major benefit that we've shown in keeping retics in the way that I'm currently defending is we've pumped out tons of generations. We're trending toward similarity to ball pythons in that other than the nesting territorial behavior that people sensationalize, they're actually really chill. They eat out of the egg. They're easily handled. There's a million different colors. You know, it is, it has helped with the commercialization of the species. It's not domesticated, but it's trending that direction in the way that a ball Python is trending that direction. Right. And so you, you do have people that are now able to keep these larger animals. Whereas when you got wild caughts in, when I was in college, you know, a wild caught larger than 10 or 12 feet was a legit dangerous animal. Yeah. Yeah. Because it just came out of Indonesia. It, it can see your face and eyes. It knows what a monkey is. <laughs> you know, it, that's a dangerous predator. Yeah. Whereas the way that we currently keep them is, could be viewed as a negative for them, but it's all positive for us. And so if this is a keeper centric ethos in that I'm more concerned with the, People are concerned with the well-being of people, then keeping retics in that way is better for people. It might not necessarily be better for retics, but it's the entirety of it is better for keepers. Sure. Well, and, and do you feel like it makes me feel gross to even say? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> understood. understood uh, yeah. And rightfully so. But you know, in the wild, why do they have large clutches? Because a lot of the snakes get picked off. So mm-hmm. a lot of them don't even make it to adulthood or, or to that large size. Oh, for so, sure. They're birth food. Yeah. That, that, that reaper. So, so to, the point I'm making is that in captivity, you know, almost 100% of that clutch survives until some form of adulthood, whether that's a very shortened life or not. So one could argue that even, even captive snakes, that live a short life, live a longer life than a lot of the, uh, you know, wild, wild occurring animals that are out, you know, out. Oh yeah. Like statistically speaking, you know, like across a population. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think, you know, probably the, the biggest thing about keeping them large and, And uh, having, you know, some of the issues that we've talked about, be it, you know, releasing things in the wild, like 
the the problem with the Burmese pythons down in Florida. Um, it just puts a really easy target on us for legislation um, and 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 animal rights groups and things like that. You know, uh, and so that and and you know the. <laughs> You, you see these stories of like drug dealers that, you know, their kid dies and they blame it on the Burmese python, like that story from, you know, uh, what, a decade ago or something. And I mean, there were, it was like they almost used the, the berm or, or retic or whatever they had as an, as a scapegoat, you know, to, to pin that. But the media ran with that story, even though the evidence didn't really line up with a, a large constrictor cause death so you know just these things and and granted that those that those people were keeping the snake illegally and you know you're you're probably not going to stop illegal behavior but it just makes it uh easier for these lawmakers to to put us in a to pigeonhole us in in these you know irresponsible keepers and you know that that always uh it makes for for a rough deal for us i think (laughs) Trying to put baby in the corner. I, I agree. The caveat I would say to that is that the current social media driven model of education, mm-hmm. if that's what you can call it, whatever, right, yeah. it's much more entertainment, but a lot of folks try to classify that on the education side. Um, that sensationalism generates negative attention to your point true but it that generates a lot of positive attention as well it it, Mm -hmm. a lot of people like they want to see giant stuff and it i'm kind of biased because i am an educator on in this field but it's so much easier to everybody wants to come see a big yellow snake yeah and then Mm -hmm. i can talk about i can talk about anything i want because i already have their attention Whereas if I'm trying to use a crested gecko and who have such a cool, a way cooler story, we thought they were extinct. Dudes found them in the nineties. They eat baby food. Now they're everywhere. Like so, so much cool story I could tell. Yeah. But it sits on my thumb and it's orange. Like you don't really care. You know, you do. If I am a good storyteller Mm -hmm. and I, and I have a skill in education and a skill in presentation that takes way more work on my part. Like mm-hmm. I could just go on YouTube with a giant snake and millions of people will pay attention. Yeah. And so it, I, I, I logically understand why people are doing that because mm-hmm. it's effective. And, and you, yeah. you know, I, I don't have an argument to say that it's not effective, um, which helps me currently. But like I said, not really. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I kind of feel like, look, you know, you can, you can look across the social media and the modern, uh, the modern day carnival circus that humanity is. And, and just because something is what we would see as like, Oh, that's not a good look. That's not, that's not, that's not ethical. That's not, that doesn't mean that the rest of society, maybe they can understand that in some way, but not everybody has the, the same moral efficacy as somebody like sure. the doctor over here arguing for sure. compassion for animals. Right. So, so like even the way, you know, somebody who cares for animals understands the issues, 
the average person who sees that may not even interface that they may not say, well, that's not good, but Hey, look at that. Check that out. That's crazy. That's cool. That's this, that's that. Um, and they're not necessarily hyper-focused on the health and welfare of that animal or, or whatever. Um, yeah. they're just kind of in there for the like, Oh, this is nuts. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm excited. I'm this, I'm that. Um, and, and so, you know, that, that's not to say that we shouldn't, you know, be concerned about those things. But I, I think, you know, a lot of times we get, we as keepers and reptile enthusiasts get hung up and animal enthusiasts get hung up on the, the, um, you know, the, 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 the properness and the rights of the animal and the things like that. And the public at large, you know, they're just, they're, they're more scared of it than they are worried about the, the, the health and welfare of the animal. That's, I think, that's something right. that um, animal rights groups use to drum up funding and to pull on heartstrings. And I think when you point it out to people, they're like, oh, yeah, OK. But I don't think the average person really thinks about that. Yeah, it's really hard to yeah, show that it's with, the with 30 reptiles. second length of a TikTok scroll. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's re- really hard to show that with reptiles, though. I mean, you can get Sarah McLaughlin singing about puppies and stuff, and it's a lot easier to show a neglected dog and see it, you know, looking sad and looking scared and things, and that that definitely hugs at the tart uh, tugs at uh, hugs at the tart strings hugs, hugs at the, the tart, tart strings. strings. Oh, I but, think we yeah. have a new phrase. <laughs> but uh, but you know, I I what what really grinds my gears. You want to hear what really grinds my gears is when they lump my little Anteresia pythons because they're pythons in with large retics or you know with with the giant snakes and they just say we're gonna ban pythons physiology doesn't lie man yeah it's a python dangerous animal it's gonna get you it'll it'll constrict you you know Ah. so you know these these little tiny pythons that can't do anything you know as far as damaging a person other than maybe drawing a little blood um in which they do from time to time but you know i'm not dying over it and and it's not potentially life-threatening in any way but you know they get they get under that umbrella like you said in in your state where you can't keep you know kids can't keep pythons regardless of the size and and for the record just real quick uh, are you saying that eric burke with his guitar singing about carpet pythons is less than sarah (laughs) mclaughlin singing about dogs and cats is that what you're trying to say i haven't seen that i think think we need to see that yes i need to see it to judge that you know maybe it will i think we need to go fund me a commercial time for the (laughs) time for the pod father to put out a video yeah, I could just see him. He needs to be standing on a rock, a big rock somewhere in the sunset, in playing full his regalia. epic solo. Yes, <laughs> yes. I oh, that, yeah. that, oh, would, that be would be fantastic with his be. with his long, long flowing hair. You know, yes. so. I digress. <laughs> we move on. <laughs> yeah, but so, you know that that idea of, I, of using large pythons to to you know ban other things that are of no consequence. You know, as far as safety and things is is a negative aspect of that so i agree with what you're saying about you know it because it, my state does that and i i acknowledge that it's silly that my daughter can't hold a ball python at a festival yeah however in order to effectively go through the the bureaucratic method to make that type of law logical to us right Mm -hmm. you would need her pediculture at large to admit 
just exactly how dangerous some of the animals we keep are. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're ever going to do that because, and it, that is something that like, I'm a bigger dude. I like giant stuff when I do stuff for the rescue or I help the state with amnesty and things like that, that all the things I help them with are large, typically dangerous species. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a skill for that or what have you. Um, you, nobody's mom wants to hear that. I, that I help with dragons and yeah. giant pythons that try to bite you and, I have several pairs of welding gloves, all these giant hooks and locks on all these things, you know, and that's all factual. That is accurate. It, you, I don't want to get wrapped up by the retic that I have. She's for real. She's a big, really strong snake, like not messing around. I have two Mm -hmm. alligators. That's not a pet. It's an educational animal. They were, that'll take your hand off. Right. My alligator snapping turtle could take your hand. He's huge. (laughs) Like just, but in order to accurately write a law like that, you know, Mm -hmm. everybody has to admit they speed and then we'll Mm -hmm. just make the speed limit 85. Your insurance (laughs) will go up. And when you get into a car wreck, something bad's going to happen. Yeah. Well, we're not going to do that. I don't ever speed. Of course I do the speed limit, but cheap insurance. (laughs) That's what I, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I work, I work in this industry in a way that I have to have insurance and my insurance is very expensive yeah. because actuaries who look at that in a mathematical straight up, I don't care way are like, dude, 15 feet long with that kind of jaw pressure, that many teeth that equates to this many dollars of surgery. So that's how much mm-hmm. it costs your insurance, Yeah, you know, and if, if you want, if herpeticulture at large wants lawmakers to acknowledge that rosy boas are not the same as red tail boas, then you need to acknowledge why. You can't just say it's because rosy boas are safe. You have to say it's because red tail boas are less safe. Yeah. You can't just say it's because anteresia are harmless because that means that retics are not harmless. And then that means they're probably not a good pet for an eight-year-old at NARBC. And that's going to cut out a big part of your market when you're trying to market to a big box store. And we don't want to do that. Well, we should do that. That's a hard. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I would say that. Yeah. And I'm sure you agree with that. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We shouldn't be marketing to eight year olds walking through NARBC or something. We should be more responsible than that. But unfortunately, you know. Yeah. But but I I guess to your point, I mean. You've got to sell 60 eggs a clutch, man. Somebody's got to buy Exactly. Somebody's got to take those things. And who better to fool than a stupid kid, you know? (laughs) But uh, (laughs) but I, I guess, you know, from a. Uh, there's an entire market for guinea pigs yeah they're an awful thing that jumps in the air and bites people and it's just a food product in south america uh, they just convinced americans to buy them <laughs> see that's i i would be on board with that like if if it gets too feisty just cook it up for dinner you know like <laughs> whoa <laughs> why not <laughs> whoa <laughs> hey oh, what, you know, why do we value some as food and others as not you know like tommy like, you oh, knock it they're good yeah yeah tommy, gators you tasty. knock it off for your guinea uh, pig's gonna be dinner oh yeah i mean my my parents lived in west africa and they had had a 
like a barbecue on the beach. And some of the, uh, there were some Islander, you know, from, uh, Tonga or, or one of the, uh, South Pacific islands. Mm-hmm. And they, they brought a dog to the, to the, you know, for the roast. <laughs> that was the meat that they were cooking up on the beach. You did know? the they, dog walk itself there? It did. And oh it was, you know, slaughtered on the beach, which, oh I mean, any American would be oh, appalled be like, and, and calling animal certain. Yeah. I have, but that's a I common have done thing. that with a goat. Yeah. yeah. I've and, done that with a goat. And, and I've and, met plenty of goats that are way smarter than my dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's plenty of, uh, food you know food animals that other countries i mean we can't we can't eat horse it's illegal to eat horse meat but most countries eat horse meat what's the difference between mm-hmm. a horse and a cow i mean they're both big <laughs> you know and I, I think that's that's kind of some of the point i was trying to make is that yeah. you know we live in a we live in a, a sliding scale of morality when it comes to uh culture and and uh you know and, and uh you know, tradition. So I, yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of those things where it's kind of, you know, you well, kind of got to check some of your stuff at the door sometimes. Yeah. The classic example of that is when you tell people you like snakes, they tell you about the time they killed a snake. But yeah. if somebody tells you they like puppies and you tell them the story of when you killed a puppy, you would be a monster. But, you know, they tell you with pride how mm-hmm. they chopped it up and, you know, used its rattle on their hat or whatever you know it's it's it is a very sliding scale of morality and just Mm -hmm. boggles the mind while why some life is okay and others is not but i don't know i guess it's just tradition or you know we've we they got a bad rap from the bible or whatever you know with people people are afraid of snakes more than they are of dogs and and the data shows that dogs are much more scary and dangerous than than snakes are you know so um, more deaths occur according, you know, at the, at the teeth of dogs than they do at the squeezing coils of a snake. Uh, I don't know. How do we, more how deaths do we get occur people? in the teeth of humans in the United States <laughs> than the teeth true. of snakes. That's very true. Yeah. And, uh, it's funny how they, you know, they, they're so free to, to ban snakes, but I mean, how many school shootings do we have and they're not going to touch guns or come within 20 feet of guns. But if, if, School children were dying from snakes, you know, in the classroom. You guarantee there would be no snakes in America after that. But we won't get into that, I guess. I'll probably take off. Well, and I mean, look at a a country like (laughs) India where, you know, the the Madras Croc Bank is and all all these different things. And and they, you know, India, Bangladesh, areas like that have a huge issue with death by snake bite. Hmm. And culturally still call a guy to come get it or you know you have a relative that mo- like you you don't kill a lot of stuff there you, you yeah. know and, and it yeah the the ethics of those things are i mean all the people that we know in australia you know the, everybody you know in australia has like their county or whatever they call it in australia snake catcher dude They're right they, you know there are there are folks you know of course in that society and culture that still kill them but um sure. they have a an incredible array of dangerous animals in, in that area. And it's a thriving part of their culture to have a person who just removes it and mm-hmm, not kill yeah. it as yeah. you know, it's just a, the cultural differences from that aspect are, are monstrous when you look at, you know, yeah. the, the danger level in the danger level in some places in comparison to the United States, mm-hmm. as opposed to our, I would probably argue hysterical reaction 
<laughs> as yeah. opposed to the reaction of, of folks in Bangladesh, folks in India, but you know, who don't have the equipment. There is no ambulance coming for 911. You know, all of the the massive cultural differences in in many ways, and then tack on to it cobras. You know, like yeah. it's yeah. it's astounding. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I I don't know what's gonna change that, but I it does seem like the and and you know, people like you that are educating the public and showing them that these are not the monsters that they were taught they were and and I think these uh you know, as as the older generation fades away and the newer generation rises up, you're going to see less and less of that fear and loathing and hatred. And For you're sure. See more curiosity sure. and interest and and excitement about these things. So, and I think we're seeing that you know in our day to day lives and and you know. Well, I mean, even to to the brass tacks of that, that's political. Mm-hmm. It's 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 legal maneuvering for our keeping mm-hmm. and progressively over time, at least in the United States, things have become more liberal in kind of a natural progression. Now we're yeah. fighting about it and politically and so on and so forth. But um, I honestly think most of those things are to our benefit because when you look at other political avenues and legislation and things like that, most people are cool with laws being slightly more liberal as opposed to slightly more conservative. Mm-hmm. The caveat being they want structure and, yeah. and information and education. You know, when, when you look at something, something that when I was in high school would have been crazy, right? Like weed, mm-hmm. oh, legalized weed. That's insane. No, this, you can see a method for States that did something like that. There was a structure and an explanation and a revenue stream, all of these things were laid out and explained and so on and so forth. Yeah. And then even, and now even places that would be considered conservative are looking at acceptance of those things because there was a structured information driven layout of that. Yeah. Um, the, I, the current political climate in Florida for reptiles sucks and that's very unfortunate yeah but the for the longest time i i championed the way that they did their venomous and in illinois followed suit with the 250 hours of education and mm. you need a mentor and things of that nature yeah. uh wisconsin has some similar things i think it's wonderful yeah that's yeah. that allows us to explain to people there's a structure there's education we're taking responsibility you know that allows the average person to be much more comfortable or a senator or, you know, representative, what have you. And I'm cool with that. I don't yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But if you can show me that you're going to do it in a way that makes sense to me, you, you know, and then in this instance is the same way. Yeah. Giant snakes scare the crap out of me. I don't think you should have them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, here, here's what we do here. Here's how we keep them. Here are the enclosures. Here's the safety things, you know, in Illinois, when I go in public, my kids don't play with pythons and on and on and on. Yeah. And so now I'm allowed to own giant pythons Yeah. with the one caveat being that my kid can't walk around with a ball python. Well, mm-hmm. I make do with that by teaching with rat snakes. And in return, nobody messes with me about keeping giant pythons. Yeah. So yeah. it's just a, 
it has nothing to do with my argument, obviously. But no, <laughs> um, no I think I'm well, playing, but, playing but the, the political cons- game. It's a structure of compromise. Yeah. yeah. But the conservative side of that argument would be, no, government just needs to stay out of it wholly and not involve themselves at all. And we should be able to just do whatever we want whenever we want, because I'm oh, not, so you're I'm talking about conservatives out of history books, not current conservatives. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think, well, I think the people in in the reptile industry who would call themselves conservatives have that that view of hey the government shouldn't be here telling me what you know if i get yes, hurt much by more a, libertarian yeah exactly 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 and so yeah you when know, you hear ron st pierre talk about reptiles as a counterculture that's what he means yeah mm-hmm. yeah well yeah, he speaks to, about that pretty extensively yeah i i think too if if we're um Showing that we do have a, a very large market and that people are buying more reptiles than ever before. And if you ban these reptiles, you're going to you know, cost people their jobs. I mean, I think that speaks pretty, pretty loudly to government, you know. And so if we can demonstrate yes. that there's something good from this. Now, it's, it's difficult to do that, I think, with the large constrictor market because you can't show, you know, all these, these, I guess you can show that there's, you know, some money to be made, but I uh, think that speaks you know. the, to government. I don't know if it speaks loudly. Yeah, I mean, the, it speaks, agreed. it's their language. Dollars yeah. are their language, you know. So. Which we, my thing is the, Sorry. No, no, you're good. You're the, good. The, the, part, the part of what you're saying that I agree with is that it's, it's the reason that things like Florida are destined to fail. They're not going to ban everything mm-hmm. because it's such the, a big market. the way it's actually yeah. – exactly. But it's not. Mm-hmm. What is a big market is the infrastructure – to create equipment and enclosures and lights and what all these things, Mm -hmm. our infrastructure of creating animals is in your basement and that's not regulated or taxed and doesn't help me at all. Factories that build a bunch of lights for all these little fish and all Mm -hmm. these little lizards and small snakes, and it can go on a shelf and that is tax dollars that has a payroll and Mm -hmm. trucks and trains to haul stuff and on and on and on. And so there is a legitimate argument to be made for economics in that way. Whereas the reptile production industry is huge in the scope of a person like me who has a regular job. Yeah. In the scope of government and infrastructure and things like that, it sounds like a lot of money, mm-hmm. but it's just divided up between like five dudes that produce for big box stores and then a million guys like us. Yeah. That's well, who true. cares? Yeah. Like 999,000 of us don't claim it on our taxes. So yeah. that doesn't matter. And those five guys that produce for big box stores produce for things that go into little plastic enclosures. They build in a factory that actually pays taxes. And they're a drop in the bucket. And retics retic- don't go in that. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I will. I will make it clear that I have an LLC and I pay my taxes. And <laughs> <laughs> me too. Yes, I do yeah, as well. I think the we state are, that's listening yeah. <laughs> for the state so, that's, but that, but that's rare. They're always listening. Yeah, but but just yeah, I guess. But you know, I guess you're you're right though. There are a lot of people that kind of fly under the radar, or, or it's viewed as a hobby and and things like that. So, um, 
Yeah, that's that's a harder case to make, but I, I was I was trying to help out your side, but it's it's difficult. No, and it, you know, it's a hard side to argue. No, well, I, I think there is something that's uh, you know kind of goes along with your side, and you mentioned it uh, to some extent, but like I was talking to Terry Phillips about you know the reptile gardens and kind of what's what's the draw, and yeah. he said you have to have the big five. You have to have a giant crocodilian, a giant snake, a giant tortoise, a giant lizard. Yep. And something else like, oh, the most venomous, you know, you need something extremely venomous. Yep. And if you have those five things, that'll draw a crowd because like he's, like we know, people are not educated. They just care about the size of the snake. They don't care if it's rare or if yep. it's hard to find or if it's, you know, unique in some way. They just want to see a big snake, you know, so that that's. And, that, uh, and that's, that's why you important. see a berm or a retake or yeah. an afrock and you don't see a kinghorn eye. Uh, yep. A giant king horn, because most zoos are like, I would rather have a big, large constrictor than a athletic, large constrictor that it would be scary as shit and not fun to have to move around <laughs> or do anything with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah they have. I mean, a, I, they have a I fall into the Terry's that's... method. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, I I've I've read uh, he's written on that before, and I've seen some videos and stuff uh, based off of his collection. Um. Like in in Illinois, I keep a boiga, but because of Illinois rules, I have to keep it in a it's a locked impact resistant blah 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 because it's yeah. venomous. Yeah, I put that sucker dead center on the table at the festival. <laughs> Check it out, yeah. bright green snake, bunch of locks, skull and crossbones <laughs> on it, and yeah. people flock around that wow. thing. Yeah, yep. and then I and then I teach them the word epistoglyph, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and or like <laughs> just stuff like that where yeah, it's. Because that is, that's the interest generator. Yeah. You know, I, my wife will walk around a festival following a giant sulcata tortoise and then you'll follow her back to my tent (laughs) where the other Mm -hmm. stuff is. And yeah, that's, that really is how you have to appeal to people in a large setting like that. Yep. And that was the draw when I was a kid. Like I wanted a Burmese python because it was a giant python and giant pythons are cool. Mm-hmm. Now I'm I'm just happy to go see them in the wild. I don't necessarily need to keep them in a box, but like, you know, that that was a that was a big draw for me and I had a a Burmese python and it and it attacked my my kid little kid brother and like he had to get some teeth surgically removed from his skin you know from you have to take him into the doctor to get the teeth removed and i felt really bad about that and it and i think it got mouth rot not long after that so my brother must not have tasted very good you know (laughs) but uh yeah so it was it was uh it was kind of a learning experience me learning i didn't want to keep a giant snake you know and and like mm-hmm. you said maybe it was a good thing it died quickly and you know, that kind of thing because i probably wouldn't have done the best job with with a giant snake for 30 years i probably would have found tried to find somewhere to to take it and if nobody could take it i'd take it to the everglades and you know i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, I think Speed those kind of things, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So those kind of things, uh, you know, they, they can, uh, this is a huge, you know, issue, I think in our, in our, uh, hobby. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you know, you see it with large mammals, like a, maybe a tiger or, uh, you know, big cats or, or, um, things sure. that are 
potentially dangerous, you know, and, and then you wind up with somebody kind of going crazy and releasing all their bears and big cats. And where, where was that? That was, you know, uh, that, that was, was in Ohio. Yeah. And I was going to say, I, and a not advertised version of that with reptiles happened in Indiana, hmm. uh, and involved mm-hmm. a croc monitor and several other species. Yeah. Um, that happens more often than you think. And yeah, if you are in yeah. the, uh, reptile rescue, amnesty world mm-hmm. um there have been a lot of crazy things stored in some of my friends bathrooms waiting for the police to arrive so mm-hmm. yeah. um that that's a that's a thing you know it, it does yeah. happen mm-hmm. yep and and again that just brings the the higher scrutiny level of the press and the community and Absolutely. lawmakers and and those kind of things so just gotta gotta be careful. I mean, decisions. but that's but that said, you know, there will always be a black market demand for dangerous uh, apex predators and and dangerous animals, right? Whether or not we or regu- not black market, yeah. I mean, whether I mean, we regulate yeah. it out of uh, an open market, uh, that will never change the fact that you know people people who. Uh, want the bravado and have the money or whatever will go out and seek and find, and there will be people out there who will deliver dangerous animals. So, you know, obviously we should do our best. I mean, we live in a, we live in a country that's diverse enough that we could just go get one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you can go, I can drive six and a half hours down 55 to Mississippi and just get a gator. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. that's not a smart thing to do, but I could do it. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, um, you can go on vacation in Florida and just get yourself a berm too. Like, yeah, to to not yeah. to not acknowledge that as a reptile keeper is silly. Yeah, um, which is interesting. You know, and- which is interesting. The states, you know, keeping legalities of it versus you can just go grab one out of the wild. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like right. Uh, okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, look at look at atrox and things like that. Like, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, one of my friends moved to New Mexico and, and bought a small ranch and he was so excited to text me because these green rattlesnakes are just everywhere. He, he just, he sent me all kinds of pictures. Coolest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I could just go to my friend's backyard and get one because <laughs> like, yeah. he thought it was cool. Cause I'm his token reptile nerd friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. My cousin kept threatening me or not threatening, but he's like, he lived, he moved to Florida and he was, he was crazy. You know, he was a little off his rocker, but he kept saying, oh dude, there's alligators everywhere. I'll send you one. I'll send you. I'm like, no, do not send me an alligator yeah. in the mail. Like, that's not a good thing. So the, that will not work out good for me. Knocking on your door. <laughs> yeah. Dude. I'll yeah. just be like, okay, <laughs> look at his record. He's, he's crazy. <laughs> he's living in the swamps, you know? He's living. <laughs> yeah. And he was very this wealthy not long ago. I yeah. said, don't do <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want him to, and I'm turning it right over to you as soon as he gets yeah. here or whatever. Yeah, I do not think that that would make it all the way through the, the mail, but hopefully <laughs> I would not, hope but, not, but yeah. you, you never know. Like, yeah, yeah that's, no, that's fair stuff. Well, any, any other, uh, any other things we've missed or have we kind of beat it to beat it to no. death? Like a, the, like a little puppy. <laughs> my <was> terrible. <laughs> actual thought process on that is that I I'm, in your camp, I'm, I'm pro keeping them yeah. 
lean and, and muscular um, with the acknowledgement that that means that for pediculture as a whole, we realistically should be keeping far less of them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, and, and have some standards, serious standards around who should yeah. be keeping and them. I, I don't like telling people what to do because I don't want people to tell me what to do. Yeah. But I, and I talk about it a lot in a million other podcasts and stuff that we are all on. Um, I think of herpeticulture like an actual hobby, like an artistic hobby. And if you do it for a really long time, you're probably not a hobbyist. You're probably an artisan or you, you develop a skill in, in those things mm-hmm. artistically. Mm-hmm, and I, yeah. I, I equate this to kind of the same idea. Um, and I, I think it's easier to develop a culture of that. Like we don't need to go tell everybody you can't have a retic. If we, if people like us who've been in for a long time and, and have larger collections and maybe are more experienced and there's a better way to get, other, get that across to new people. Yeah. And cause it's, it's just like having kids, man. Like if you just tell them no, mm-hmm. that they're going to turn to teenagers and go do it anyway, just to <laughs> stick it to you, yeah. you know, yeah. whereas it, it, I'm kind of biased cause that's the part of her pedagogy that I do, but it's, it's the education aspect of you, you need to honestly teach people and Hey, this is what's going on with these types of snakes. And everybody starts with a ball Python and a corn snake for a reason. Cause they're great. Yeah. Cool. And, and here's the progression and this is why it makes sense. And, mm-hmm. you know, green rat snakes are really hard to keep alive. That's why we don't do that. And mm-hmm. like, just acknowledge those things and acknowledge them with new people. And you, we would develop a culture of, I'm not going to buy a giant retic. I'll buy a, a morph corn. I'll buy a morph ball. Yeah. I'll look at, An if you like hide stuff, there's, a, it's yeah. But like, silly things like we we are pretty quickly showing that some of these genetic mutations for pattern and color seem to be prevalent in a lot of reptiles Mm -hmm. look at pied it shows up in all sorts of stuff like you don't necessarily need a 12 foot one when you could have a four foot one that's a ball or a a pied blood red corn that's like the coolest snake i've ever seen in my life Mm -hmm. and it's the size of my thumb and three feet long. Like that's great. You know, um, it's yeah. There's just a better way to do it. That doesn't break down to us telling people no, because we're scared that eventually the government's going to tell us no. Like, I think that's a bad spiral. Whereas if we could better educate new people, you'll, it sounds bad because I don't want to, totally screw people who are in her pediculture, but we really should have depressed that market a long time ago. Yeah. Like there's a yeah. lot of people that bred water monitors and were crushing it and doing a super great job. And now you don't see them on social media as much anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause there's and, no and, place to put a bunch of six foot lizards. Yeah. Like I think, that's, I think that's, that's why Aki's are popular. That's yeah. why like Mike Stefani is crushing it with Mertens because yeah. it looks like a water it's a little bit bigger than an Aki and it won't eat your cat. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm a dude that only has giant monitors. I have a 40 inch Argus and a four foot water. Like I know why they're cool. <laughs> yeah. But 
I also know why a million people have Ackies and like 10 dudes have Argus that care, you know? Yeah. And, well, and, and that said, I mean, I think if, if I, I, I'm not going to keep a large monitor, but if there was a way that I could get a, a Parenti, you better believe I'd be getting a room <laughs> yeah, well, free in my yeah. house to keep a Parenti. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, there, and, and I guess I, I don't want to be like, listen, kids, I, I love you, but you got to find a new place to live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, we are kind of moving towards that empty nest stage, so I should have a room freed up, you know, here or there. So just in case, you know, just in let case me know if you've got an available parenti, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I, I do think, you know, if, if it was illegal for anybody to own a parenti, no matter what, then that would be kind of a sad state, you know, and, and we do live in a country where sure. we have freedoms and, and, and so I don't want to see them banned outright, but I do think there should be some, um, you know, they should do some research. They do, you know, if, if, if we had a system like the hour system with venomous with, with something like a large yeah. constrictor or a large water yeah, monitor, they absolutely. have to go work with one with somebody else and get, you know, get their training and get their hours before they can have one themselves. That would be kind of, I think of that's a, totally reasonable. Yeah. A good, a common sense, you know, solution to that. So, um, but you yeah, know, as, as long think- as, uh, I think we have the, that attitude of don't tell me what to do. You know, well, and I, I mean, I think I think there's there. a reason that attitude came about. Right. I mean, I think sure. there's been a lot of sacrifice and a lot of, you know, blood spilled so that we can be a quote unquote free society that, yeah. you know, values freedom. And what what are we doing if we can't, you know, ha- if we can't enjoy what, you know, what those freedoms are. And, and if the government just tells you, no, you can't do this and you can't do that. It, yeah. it, it kind of cuts at what, what, you know, what America sees its, its core yeah. values as. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, but, but, but that, that said, like, obviously in a country where guns are everywhere, I support guns. I like guns, but I can also admit that we have a lot, a lot of issues around guns, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that we need to regulate those things. I don't think we should get rid of any guns, but maybe regulating them in a common sense way so that, you know, you can't ha- have a young kid who's pissed off and hasn't figured out life can just go buy an AR and go, uh, you know, deal with his problems in a ridiculous fashion and hurt innocent people in the process. Yep. Um, so, yep. you know, putting I mean, in the I, hours putting in the, you know, getting yeah, the training, exactly. Getting, you know, it exactly. makes sense for a lot of things. I mean, we get a driver's license, you know, we spend hours learning, driving a car and practicing with our parents and things like that. Why doesn't it apply to snakes or guns or, or a lots of common sense things, you know, that, mm-hmm. um, would, would just make people. Well, there's a lot of stuff like that where, and it, you can tell what your background is, Chuck, because I have a similar one, I would assume, um, in that there are a lot of people and it. I'm, I'm probably super biased because I go back to education a lot, but um, there are a lot of people that really want rights and don't understand their responsibilities. Right. And right. You know, the two go hand in hand yeah. and it. For, for anything yep. and it, whatever it may be. Um, and it, I, I think that comes down to education. Like it, it doesn't matter if, you know, I work in a really weird field outside of reptiles. And so I, I probably have 
a lot of insight into what Chuck was talking about with the, the gun topic. But um, I also can point you to 50 classes that are happening next month if you want to go. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, and out other, there. other yeah. than but other than you DMing me to come to my reptile shop and learn how to handle a big lizard, like you're not going to go to an AZA accredited facility and learn that you're not like there. We, we haven't, we haven't developed the structure of other controversial industries to defend ourselves from folks who criticize us. Mm-hmm. 100%. And Perfectly said. That, but, but a great compromise you know, would be, would be that kind of system rather than saying, okay, we're going to ban everything. Yeah. We're going to require you to get ours. You figure it out from there. Yeah, and take we responsibility. A, yeah, we develop a system that allows for that, and and different, you know, uh, folks like you that have those big animals, and you know, maybe can can uh, do that for a fee or something. You know, that that becomes a thing. I don't. Yeah, know. and any any hobby, if you're into extreme sports, if you're into whatever, if you're into something with a level of danger, because you're an adrenaline kind of person, mm-hmm. all of those have training. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And classes and, yeah. and it's, it's a part of the culture. Yeah. Like yeah. nobody, nobody base jumps the first time yeah. you've been in skydiving for years. Well, yeah. and remember- that, cause, cause the people who are into that won't even talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're not invited, dude. You, you yeah. can't come like yeah. if you're talking about firearms or you're talking about combat sports or any multitude of weird hobbies I have outside of reptiles, like new people are new. You do new guy stuff that's mm-hmm. simple and, and basic, and we'll, we'll show you what's going on. You express to us your skill set, your responsibility level, and then the group will determine kind of where you fall out. Because if you're young, dumb, and want to try it, you're dangerous to everybody else. So, yeah. like, let's just chill yeah. out, you know? I feel and like then, that. That Kyle Rittenhouse kid who shot the protesters, if he would have joined the Marine Corps, he would have never, ever, ever, ever been at a protest with a firearm using it on American citizens. Like, ever. Ever. It wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. You know? The, it, it's one of those... It, it doesn't matter the, the political facet that you look at. In, in cases of extreme behavior or reckless behavior or, yes. or things that most yes. folks don't agree with the people that you see conducting themselves in that way, almost across the board did not come from a, a schoolhouse or a, a training facility. Or, you know, when, when you see like stupid things on ESPN where people get into a fight in the stands or whatever, like, the guy didn't walk out of a boxing gym and go punch somebody at a Red Sox yeah. game. Like that's just some idiot that's not trained. You know, yeah. the the people who are to take their alligator to PetSmart in Florida, they don't work for RPI. Yeah. They, they they haven't gone to an AZA class. They don't you know, there there's a level of responsibility that comes with education and training yeah. in anything. Yeah. And our our weird thing just happens to be Big pythons, big lizards, yep. Yep. venomous snakes, whatever. Whereas it could be a, a drag race car or what, you know, you got to wear a harness and a helmet and blah, blah, blah. Or otherwise they won't let you race. And and there's a bunch of people standing there like, no, idiot. We don't do that here. You know, and then you're the weird one 
for being irresponsible. Yep. And yep. in her pediculture, we, I don't know how a hobby that's been around in mainstream America since the seventies hasn't matured enough, but like we, yeah. we haven't matured to the point where all of us are standing around going, no, we, we don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. You know, and that, that peer pressure of trained and educated groups of people, that's the only thing that's ever going to drive that mm-hmm. because if you ban it, it's just going to be people who were already willing to break the rules because mm-hmm. all of the responsible people are going to follow the rules, which yeah. means they're out of it. Yeah. And, and, and I then think, I think too, if we're, if we're know, more accommodating or like, instead of like chasing them away because they want a big snake or something, we, we kind of say, Hey, you know, let's think, let's, let's talk about this or, or bring them under your wing and kind of educate them. That kind of yeah. thing, you know, don't shun somebody cause they make a stupid choice because I think we've all been there and made those stupid choices and that's how you learn. You know, that's why I learned Dude. I didn't want a berm because I kept a berm, <laughs> you know, it's like. Well, yeah. so we're all podcast nerd type people. Mm-hmm. Chameleon Academy. Uh-huh. The yeah. people who are involved in that. Yeah. So they, when you go to their Facebook group, there is a structure in place for people who buy chameleon kits at big box stores. Yeah. Because they suck. Mm-hmm. Everybody buys them. Everybody who buys them is brand new. Mm-hmm. Those kits suck. Yeah. They don't know it. They go to a Facebook group and instead of getting flamed about how big of a moron you are, mm-hmm. there's a structure of like, replace this light bulb with that thing and buy this. And then you stick this plant right here. And I, I mean, you can literally read it. Yeah. And then when you're done, your crappy chameleon kit will keep your veil alive. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why there isn't, why don't we have that in the, dart frog group and the retic group and the, you know, and because it, it clearly isn't that difficult. They did it for chameleons, which are the thing everybody has killed since they were kids because they're incredibly Mm -hmm. delicate, you know, and they were like, no, we, we know what's going to happen. We, we can't defeat big box marketing. Mm -hmm. So we're going to guerrilla campaign it. And when you come to talk to us on social media, we got you. Yeah. Yeah. You're good to go. You need to, to make this work. Yeah. To, to be. Dude, and they're, and they're killing it. Yeah. Seventh generation ambelope chameleons, Parsons, mm-hmm. Mellers, all the coolest things. Yeah. The chameleon hobby is crushing it. And it, I think the basis of that is their acceptance of new people and getting them going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those are the people who are going to build on the things that we're discovering now and discover the new things, you know, if we, if we chase them away before they have a chance. And I mean, you hear that all the time of, Oh, I don't, I don't like this or that group because they're exclusionary or they think they're really cool. And, you know, they don't accept new people or they, or they shunned me or made fun of me or whatever. So yeah, it's tricky. Well, um, we sure appreciate you coming on, Bill. It's been a really good conversation and, and some really it good was, We kind of rambled, but it was awesome. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, that's the way it goes, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, very, very good points and very important discussion. Hopefully, you know, the listener got, got some good uh, ideas or thoughts out of this and, and hopefully, you know, we can, we can improve what we're doing and, and uh, make things better for all of us, right? Um, yeah. 
I've, I've been enjoying Lizard Brain Radio. The the Savannah Monitor episode was really cool. That was fun. I, was I listened awesome. to, to Chuck's episode. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate that I don't remember names very well. But most of the stuff you guys said about me was nice. So I appreciate <laughs> appreciate that. But, we just I say all the horrible stuff names. behind your back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was all the bad stuff I just Before you went until, on air. Yeah. yeah, after he cut it yeah. off, I was like, and that Jewlender, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very very well deserved, I'm sure, on my part, but yeah. But yeah, we... Uh, Most of it was centered on you things. not inviting him to hurt, but you know. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Which, you know, which, f- fair. <laughs> which fair is point. fine now because <laughs> yeah. I just invite myself. <laughs> there you go. True. Hey, no, I, I will have you know, I invited him to Herp and he left me high and dry. He didn't come, you know. He's like, sure, sure. And then oh. it came time and he ditched me. So, yeah, I was... I was I, that is I'm not like, how I just I didn't reco- want to be hurt that is, again. <laughs> that is not how I recall that happening. I gave ample notice that I was not able to attend. Uh, it's true. I it's am true. sorry. But my daughters were sad that they didn't get to hang out with your daughters. You know? Yes, I, I, <laughs> I, I acknowledge. I acknowledge the fact that that it was a it was it was a inconvenient family train wreck <laughs> that was my fault. But to be fair, I was upfront about it. It's all good. It's all good. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, Lizard Brain Radio. Um, check it out if you haven't heard it. Yeah. It's a great podcast. I, I really uh, enjoy listening to that. I I have a bit of a lizard brain for sure. I was I was actually surprised you pick a you picked a snake topic. So <laughs> I guess you must get it all out on the Lizard Brain Radio and. And and obviously it, you're not just a lizard centric person. <laughs> you deal with a lot of snakes. Yeah, as well. the having the the collection diversity like that, yeah. and especially with big constrictors like a, a site. A lot of people worry about venomous, and they worry about tegus and and mm-hmm. politics coming out of Florida. But you know the genesis of that was berms. It was big constrictors, yeah. and yeah. the it's way easier to scare people with big snakes. Then to have to explain yourself what a tegu even is yeah. when your mom is calling it a tiju or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do this for a living and my mom doesn't know what a tegu is. She knows what yeah. a giant snake is, yeah, you know, so sure. it's it's for much sure. more pertinent in the public eye, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. Well, where where can uh, people find your podcast and where can they find you? And oh, man. Good stuff. Um, Lizard Brain Radio is pretty much anywhere podcasts are uh, it's part of the herpeticulture network mm-hmm. uh which has been a, a blast um yeah, they're good guys facebook uh, instagram all that good stuff the reptile education part is called coal black exotics okay. and that's on facebook instagram any social media twitter tiktok um all of the fun social media for younger people with tiktok and all that jazz my kids help me with so it actually doesn't suck because i wouldn't know how to do those <laughs> yeah like you um, need the, the younger generation <laughs> to do those things yeah <laughs> yeah they they tell me which song you're supposed to put and and all that uh-huh. stuff um and how fast but yeah man i yeah no um i i post stuff there all the time we do shows all the time most of our uh youtube stuff is either episodes of lizard brain because i, I do them live and then all the other videos are somehow educational in nature. There's a whole set on the YouTube channel that we did during COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did short lessons that some science teachers were using, but I made them public so cool. other people could use them. That's awesome. Um, yeah, there's a handful of different things on there that are, it's all like family friendly, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, nice. And it's all 
all of that stuff is education based. Um, the Instagram is Instagram. So it's a bunch of fun pictures of spiders and lizards and snakes, but, um, there's (laughs) more information (laughs) on the Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very picture heavy. Um, no, on the Facebook side, it, it, there's usually like a fun fact type of thing. Um, we answer tons and tons of messages. Um, the big thing for Teresa and a little bit myself, but much more so her is, uh, enclosure building and things like that. We help a lot of people with that kind of stuff. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, man, it's kind of a one-stop shop for answering questions. Very cool. Very cool. Well, check him out if you haven't already. I'm sure most people probably know who you are and, and what you do. But yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah we, great having you on, and, and uh, we'll definitely have you back again, I'm sure. you got a lot of good ideas for topics. So We yeah, think we'll the world of Bill, for yep. sure. Yeah, And I, I wanted to let you guys know that there's already a second argument brewing or fight brewing. Uh, Dr. Loafman took mm-hmm. the Casey Cannon side in the invisible arc argument oh. in a chat group recently that Ooh. I'm a part of. <laughs> there you go. So maybe a uh, part due on the invisible arc. <laughs> yeah. Sus. Yeah. Let's suss this out. Yeah, that'd be good. Cool. All right. Well, thanks Bill. And uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, check out Morelia Python radio network and all their uh, social medias. Um, good stuff going all around. Uh, Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of Reptile Fight Club. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to Chuck, the co-host of Fight Club. Fight Club.